Would you be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Yes, sir. Where is it? It's no longer exists. It closed. You talking about the one that did the pastor that way? It closed a few years, two or three years. The pastor, when he left there, he's been at the same church ever since. That's about 30 years. Uh, they've had 11 pastors in that time. And the last pastor they had, two or three years ago, they, wound up, they voted to close the church and sold the property. So it's not there. You wonder what happened? You wonder what, what happened? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, no mystery to me why they closed. God, no way God was going to bless that kind of thing. I'd rather not say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in Tennessee. It's in the state of Tennessee. So it wasn't in Mississippi anyway. All right. Got any more questions? <laughs> I'm always open. <laughs> All right. In First Corinthians chapter 13, I want you to look, just look back at the last verse of chapter 12 because this kind of introduces chapter 13. In, verse, in chapter 12, he, the, Paul's talking about all these wonderful spiritual gifts. And there are some wonderful things here. But in that last verse, verse 31 of chapter 12, he says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, if God's got a more excellent way, I want, that's where I want to live. How about you? I mean, that's, if, that's, if, God, if that's, God says this is the excellent way, that's, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to walk with him. And wh- what is he talking about? What is that more excellent way? Well, he tells us in chapter 13. Chapter 13 is that great chapter, that great love song, that great love poem of the Bible. Uh, chapter 13, this is one of the first chapters. I memorized the whole chapter as a boy, in, I guess, in Bible tic-tac-toe years ago in, in our church. Uh, we had to memorize a lot of Scripture, and I think this was the very first Bible chapter that I, I memorized the whole chapter. Uh, and I've, so I've known this chapter for a long time. I've read it, I've prayed over it, and I've, I've preached it, I've taught it. Uh, I thought I knew it, I thought I knew it backwards and forwards. But isn't it amazing how every time you read the Bible, you can read something you've read a hundred times before, and all of a sudden you see something you've never seen before, you, something you never thought about before. And, and I want to share with you some things God taught me from this chapter. And I, I want to go all the way down to the last verse, verse 13. Of course, the chapter talks about, basically talks about, you know, if we can do a lot of things. We can do benevolent things. We can, do, we can prophesy. We can, we can do a lot of spiritual type things. But if we don't do it motivated by the right kind of love, we're wasting our time. It's just words are like tinkling bells and symbols. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. If it's not, if, listen, we don't do what we do as Christians motivated by the right kind of love. Then we're wasting our time. And we're wasting other people's time. So that's kind of what he, he, he tells us in this chapter. But when he gets down to the end of the tra- chapter, verse 13, notice what it says. And now abideth, and he says has three things here. Faith, hope, charity, which is love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. I was looking at that a few years ago, and I got to verse 13, and I, and I read that, and, and all of a sudden it, it kind of dawned on me that I had never really just tried to think this through. Have you ever just tried to process that statement? He says there are three things. There's faith, there's hope, and there's love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, have you ever tried to just try to figure out how great love would have to be to be greater than faith and hope? 
I mean, just, I mean, sit down and just try to, try to process that. I'm telling you, it, it gets a whole lot deeper than what you think it might. I mean, it's easy to look, take a surface look at this and say, well, the love's pretty great. Well, I mean, how great can it be? So I started thinking about this. I started trying to run that through my thought processes, and, and God started using it and helping me with this. And, um, and so I'm going to do something kind of dangerous tonight. I'm going to let you in on the thought processes of a redneck theologian. Now, stay together as a group, because if I lose you in there, we'll never find you. <laughs> but I just want to share with you the journey God put me on to teach me some things about the greatest of these is love. When I looked at that, I got to think, well, you know, maybe the first thing I should consider is look at it in a comparative way. What I mean is this. When he talks about great love being great, he says it's greater than faith and hope. Now, understand, he's not saying that faith and hope are not great. He just says love's greater. And so if I want to understand a little bit of how great love has to be, I need to understand how great faith and hope are because both of them are great in their own right. I mean, let's think about it for a minute. Think about hope. The Bible says if we have hope in this life only, we're of all men most miserable. We have, the Bible says we have that blessed hope that one day when this life is over, we've got a better place to go to. Well, I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that. That blessed hope. Now, when we use the word hope today in our conversation, we say, well, I, I hope to go fishing tomorrow if it doesn't rain. Well, that might or it might not happen. But when the Bible talks about hope, that's, that's something, it is a surety. It, 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 is, it is bound to happen. It's that kind of hope. A hope, blessed hope in Jesus Christ in heaven. Man, hope's a great thing. <laughs> but he says love's greater. I mean, how great can love be to be greater than hope? But wait a minute. What about faith? Goodness, how great is faith? The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. The Bible also says we can't be saved without faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. Without faith we couldn't even know Christ as our personal Lord. Man, how great is faith? But he says love's greater. I mean, how great can love be to be greater than faith and hope? So I thought about it in that comparative way. And then I thought, well, maybe what would be some examples of this great of a love? And the first two things that came to my mind were these. First was the love of God the Father that he has for us. You see, isn't it interesting? In John 3, 16, we love that verse. And <clears throat> probably <clears throat> more, more church, unchurched people know John 3, 16 than, than any other verse in the Bible because they have it on signs at ball games and things of that nature. But, John, you know, <clears throat> simple little verse. For God so... And before I say the next word, there are a lot of things God could have said there. It could have said, for God had so much faith in mankind that he gave his only begotten son. He could have said, for God had so much hope in us and what we would become. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, God's the Father's love for us is, is an example, one of the greatest examples of this kind of love. It's greater than faith and hope. Greater than just about anything we could imagine here tonight. God loved us. Listen, God loved me when I didn't love Him. He wanted me when I didn't want Him. He loved me when I turned Him away. He always came back into my heart and mine, and He loved me. I'll never understand why God loves us like He does. Because I'm going to be honest with you. When you stand us next to God, there's a vast difference. Us at our best state. There's a vast difference between us and God. And sometimes we look at people here and we try to separate from people here because they're not like us or they don't look like us. When I, I wonder if God functioned that same way. 
how many of us would be able to be Christians, be able to be saved today. You see, he loves us. He loved us so much, he gave us the best thing he had. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Oh, what a great love that the Father has for us. But not only that, the second example of this love is the, the love of Jesus Christ for us. You see, it's just as great as the Father's love for us. Well, Jesus came. You know, when it came time for Jesus to come to earth and, and put on flesh, be born as a, a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, I don't think they had to go all over heaven calling his name, looking for him. No, he came of his own will. He came of his own volition. He came because he loved us. I want you to understand something. When Jesus came, he knew before he came what he was going to face. He knew everything before he ever came as a baby. He knew what was going to come in his life. He knew he would suffer. He knew he would die on a cross. He knew all of that before he ever left heaven and came. But he came anyway because he loved us. The Bible says, No greater love hath any man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Oh, how great can love be? I mean, come on, it's greater than hope, it's greater than faith. It's the kind of love that God the Father has for us, that He gave His Son. It's the kind of love that Jesus has for us, that He gave His life for us. I mean, how great can love be? Then in that process, it started getting personal. Now, I found that every time God's trying to teach me something from the Bible, at some point, it's going to get personal, because it's something He wants to teach me, something that I need to learn. And by the way, I think we should always be in some kind of process of learning things about God's Word and about, about, the, about the Lord. Uh, no matter how long we've been saved, no matter how long we've been in ministry, listen, I'm, I'm always, matter of fact, sometimes I'm in two or three processes at the same time. Uh, God's bringing me. Now, I wish now some people act like it when they need to know something, God just zaps them, you know, and they got it all. He doesn't do me that way. <laughs> he puts me in a process. And through, as I study His Word and as I pray and talk with Him and as He brings people into my life and, and counsel into my life and people with wisdom that, that I can learn from. In this process, then He gets me, moves me to from where I, where I was to where He wants me to be. And so He, he started me on a process that day. And let me <clears throat> see if I can explain to you this process. Now, to understand the process, you, you need to you know, understand a little bit about my background, and I've shared some with you about my wife and I. You know, grew up in, in Winfield, Alabama, which is just right across the Alabama line, right across from Tupelo, Mississippi, into Marion County, was the county uh, where I grew up. And so, <clears throat> very rural, very rural part of, of northwest Alabama. And, uh, and, of course, you know, I tell people, you know, when they find out I, I grew up as a boy in Pea Ridge, Alabama, they, they figure right off that's probably not a thriving metropolis. But the one guy said, now, what was the name of that town? I said, no, you misunderstood. There is no town. It's just a community. But so it was very, very rural. And, of course, I grew up, we grew up there in the 60s as children and the 70s as teenagers. And all around us, uh, we heard a lot of, we saw a lot of hatred. And we, we heard a lot of things said that probably shouldn't have been said. And uh, it would have been very easy for us to grow up that way. Grown up hating people that we didn't even know just because of the color of their skin or, or what country they were from or what language they spoke. It would have been very easy for us to grow up feeling that same way. It would have been very easy for us to grow up with that same kind of bitterness and hatred uh, because people, uh, toward people who were different than we are. But fortunately, my wife and I, we had parents who had better sense than that. I remember one time my pastor preached, I was a boy, and my pastor preached, he talked about we ought to love everybody. Just 
to sort of love everybody. I just kind of left it at that. We got home. I said, Mom, I said, you know, I, I want to love. But I said, who, who all does that involve? Who all do, who am I supposed to love? And that's what she said to me, and I'll never forget it. She said, David, I tell you what. If you'll do this, what I'm about to tell you, you won't have any problem with it. You just love everybody Jesus died for. And I figured that pretty well covers it, doesn't it? Because if he didn't die for everybody, how could he die? How did he die for anybody? If the gospel's not for everybody, how can it be for anybody? So I, I learned that very simple lesson at a young age. And so Kathy and I and her parents are also uh, loving parents and, and loved others and <clears throat> would help them do anything for anybody. It didn't matter who they were. And so so, so I've, never had a prob- I've never had a problem loving the world, okay? Now, one thing, thing is I've not met most of them. You know, it's easy to love people you don't know. You it's those people that you've met that sometimes it's hard to love, right? It's those people that you've got to know a little bit. Sometimes it's those people in your own family or your own relatives uh, <clears throat> in your class or in your, where you work. Sometimes those are the people hard to love. And so I, I never really struggled with loving the world, per se. But let me tell you the issues that I've had. That's the, that's where, the church we grew up in, Winfield Free Will Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama, <coughs> it, uh, <coughs> they were <coughs> pretty strict on some things. Uh, matter of fact, they, 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 they taught us is there, there are certain, there's a certain hymn book you use when you come to church, and a certain hymn book you use, and that's the right hymn book to use for church. And not only do you use that right hymn book, the songs in that hymn book has the right way to sing those songs in that right hymn book. <coughs> this is the right way to do it. And oh my word, you know, of course back then they hadn't, they hadn't even been thought of and heard about putting it up on the wall, you know. That would have been terrible. Uh, even if it was out of the right hymn book. <laughs> and we were taught you, you dress a certain way to come to church. Certain things you wear, certain things you don't wear to come to church. And, and this is the right way to dress to come to church. And, and then when the preacher gets up, listen, they had a, the way the preacher dressed. Now, the thing, the preacher, you know, their thing was, well, the preacher, he has to wear a, either a black or a very dark blue solid colored suit, white shirt, a solid black or blue tie, black wingtip shoes, and white socks. <laughs> That's why I wear cowboy boots now. You don't know what color my socks are, and it doesn't matter if they match or not, okay? But they thought this is the right way for a pe- preacher to dress and get in the pulpit and preach. And, and then, they, you know, they, we worship, and they taught us, now this is the right way to worship. So now, if you grow up in that, and you're taught that these are the right way to do church, then you see any other way, that becomes the wrong way in your mind, right? And I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying, in your mind, anything that's not what you were taught was the right way becomes the wrong way. So, <clears throat> growing up in church, I, <clears throat> I, never had, I never had to deal with this because, you know, I lived in my father's home and uh, I wanted to live. And so, I, I went to church and, and I did, you know, what, how I was supposed to. I did church like they said was the right way to do it. So, I, did, I didn't really have a problem with that. I got married and went to college in Nashville, Wells College, and, and uh, I didn't have much trouble there because they did things pretty much the way we did in our church in Winfield, Alabama. So, I mean, they seemed like to me they were doing things the right way, so I, I made it okay. I got out of college and started pastoring churches. And 
as long as I was the pastor, I mean, I could kind of lead them. You know, so I, I, I was able to lead them in the right way to do things. And so everything was good. I went to Cookville, Tennessee. I was, I'd been there about eight years, and God, God was blessing the church. And we were growing, and I mean, just, in, just amazing what God was doing. And then Tryman Messer called me one day. He said, I'm coming to Cookville tomorrow. Will you meet me for lunch? I said, well, sure. Now, and both Tryman and I had been friends a long time. He'd done that before. So <clears throat> I didn't think anything about it. <clears throat> so we're having lunch, and... He said, well, I guess you wonder why I need to meet with you. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was a meeting. I thought this was an eating. <laughs> There's a difference unless you have an eating meeting, you know. And I said, oh, okay. He said, he said, I guess you know I've been selected to be the new director of home missions. I said, yeah, I heard that. I'm so thrilled. I said, nobody I know of be any better. He said, well, I, the reason I come by here, I want to tell you who I'm going to hire to be my associate. And I didn't say anything. And he says, you don't get it, do you? I said, what do you mean? He said, the reason I need to tell you is because I prayed about it and you're the man I'm going to hire. That's just kind of way Tryman operated. And, and, I, and I didn't say anything. I, listen, I didn't, I didn't fill out a, a resume. I didn't apply. I wasn't looking for a job. Listen, I'd have been thrilled to live, to either died or, or reti- retired as pastor of that church, and God knew that. We loved it there. I mean, they loved me and my family like, like their own families. I would have I, I was been thrilled to stay, and, and I, I didn't know what. And he said, "Now I know you think you need to pray about this." He says, "Well, you think you pray as long as you think you need to." I'm just telling you, I've already prayed, and you're the man I'm going to hire. <laughs> he waited on me and Kathy for seven months. Hardest decision we ever made in our life. We prayed seven months. God finally had to just show us that that's what He wanted us to do. Hardest decision we ever made. We moved to Nashville. Our children, Nicole was 14, Ryan was probably dying, about nine years old, and <clears throat> we moved them from Cookville, Tennessee, a population of about 25,000, to Nashville, Tennessee, and it was like a whole different world. And uh, so I go to work for the department, now going from church to church across the United States, helping our church planners who are out there planning churches and visiting, preaching some of our established churches. <clears throat> And I started going, see, most of my life to that point, I had, I had preached in a lot of churches, but most of them were in the southeast. I started preaching, you know, on, on, on the other side of the Mississippi River, west side, and, and, and the west, and on the west coast in California. And I started preaching up in the northeast and in the northern states in Michigan. And you know what I found out? We had some free will Baptist churches that didn't do church the right way. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just, you know, I'm not sure. I almost was in shock. <laughs> I remember I went to one church, and I had met the pastor somewhere else, and he invited me to his church. And so I'm there the first day I come in church, and I see him come in. And that Sunday morning, it's about time for church, and the pastor comes in. He's got on a, a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops. <laughs> pastor of the church. I said, Pastor, I didn't know he was having a luau. It just wasn't doing things the same way I was raised to do them. And, oh, listen, some of them didn't know which hymn book to use either. Some of them didn't even use hymn books, just put it up on the wall. And, oh, and singing songs, I, and then even some songs I thought I would know, I didn't recognize. And I'm thinking, what in this world is going on? What, what have I gotten myself into? Going here, all these people don't know how to do, right, do things right at church. I've been doing this probably almost... A, a year. One day I'm sitting in my office and God began to convict me. And I, be, I began to realize that I had kind of developed a, a, a bitterness 
and a critical spirit toward these pastors where I'd be in it didn't dress the same way I dressed as a pastor, preacher. They didn't do church like I grew up doing church. And God began to break my heart. And I'm going to realize that God didn't have me there to tell them how to have church. He had me there to try to be a blessing and encouragement to them. Do anything I could to help them. That it wasn't right, wasn't wrong just because it was different than the way I did it. Just wasn't the same as the way I was taught to do it. Didn't mean it was wrong. I got up and I closed the door of my office. And I went and I got on my knees behind my desk. And I, and I begged God to forgive me. Because I'm going to tell you something. If we have those kind of feelings in our heart, we can't feel right about others. And we can't love God like we need to if we have those kind of feelings about others. And I'm headed that way, and I'm going to show you this by the time we're finished tonight, okay? That the only way we can love God like we should is we love others like we should. It's biblical. So I prayed. I said, God, please help me. Teach me how to love others more like you love me. Because I'm pretty sure I'd probably done some things different the way Jesus would do it. And he loved me anyway. Be careful what you pray. God may give you opportunity to, to learn. I went to California <clears throat> to preach a men's retreat. Now, until I went home, I had never even been to the state of California in my life. <clears throat> I remember the first church I was in out there, I told those folks, I said, listen. <clears throat> I said, back in the South, I said, you, you, I, I don't know if you, if you realize here in California, every bad thing that comes into the South, everybody says, well, it started, it came from California. I said, so I didn't know if y'all knew that, but y'all messing up the whole country. And, and boy, I thought, I, you know, I thought I'd seen church. I hadn't seen church until I, I went to the state of California. I, I mean, <clears throat> well, it's just different. But I went to this ministry retreat, and the pastor picks me up there, airport, and, and we're, coming, we're coming up on the, in the mountain there, and we're coming into the lodge, and <clears throat> I look, and <clears throat> the whole parking lot was more, more Harley-Davidson motorcycles than there were cars. And so I get there, and I, I start meeting some of these guys, and, and, you know, and, and these old burly guys had on these leather vests and leather chaps and you know, tats on their arms and their neck. And I, I mean, and, and, and I'm thinking, Lord, what in the world you got me into? And uh, I'm thinking, this, this is not going to be good. I mean, a redneck from Pea Ridge, Alabama in California. <laughs> but I preached that first night, and I watched those guys. They had these huge leather Bible covers. And they, they had those open, they had pens, pens. They, I mean, they were listening, they were taking notes. And I give the invitation, listen, those big old guys had just come fall in the altar, just praying, crying, and weeping in the altar uh, for God to, to, to touch them. And, and uh, I found out, you know, that they probably were more spiritual than I was at, at that point. Because I was kind of in my mind, I was still kind of judging them for the way they looked. Uh, after the services, they'd come out, those big guys, and they'd be, tears still be running down their face, and they'd say, oh, preacher, can I hug your neck? And they, they wouldn't wait to be say yes or no. They'd grab me around the shoulder. Some of those big guys, they'd pick me up off the floor, you know, just swinging me around my feet. <laughs> now, i got to be honest with you. i got a little bit too much redneck in me to, to enjoy having that many men hugging on me wearing leather. So, anyway. <laughs> but I found out they, they were great guys, you hear? Wonderful guys. Some, 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 some godly men. And, and, and God began to teach me through that. And uh, <clears throat> I met a pastor while I was there. 
<clears throat> he pastored a church just outside of Los Angeles, uh, in Buena Park, a suburb of Los Angeles. And so he, he asked me if I would come preach revival for him. I said, well, sure, we'll get, so we got it set up. Now, nobody told me what, what to expect. And so when I get there, listen, I find out this. I thought, I thought well, maybe I've seen it. You know, I, I've seen it now. Yeah, no, it, it, it's wow. The first Sunday I'm there, <clears throat> I walk into the auditorium before the service. <clears throat> There's a sound booth in the back. There's two men at the sound booth. One's at the board, he, and he was this big old guy with a sleeveless T-shirt on. He had this mohawk. It wasn't, it wasn't blonde. It was fluorescent yellow. And behind him was a little guy, <clears throat> and <clears throat> I'm sorry, this is what it made me think of. It looked like they picked him up off the downtown streets of Los Angeles in 1965, put him in a, uh, one of these chambers and froze him, and let him, thawed him out and let him come to church that Sunday morning because he looked like an old hippie. He had hair, his hair down below his waist and had a headband on and bell bottoms and, I, I mean, the whole thing. So, so I went over and I put my hand out. I, I spoke to Mohawk and, and turned around, <coughs> introduced myself, the old hippie, and he said, I, I said, uh, hello, my name's David Gray. He says, they call me Gil. I said, that's your name? He said, no, it's just what they call me. <laughs> okay. Works for me. That's what I'll call you then. It's Gil. So that, that was the, beside the pastor. Well, those were the first two people in that church that I met when I, when I went there. And that morning when the service started, oh, my. <laughs> they called for the offering, the ushers, okay? <laughs> for the biggest looking guys, <laughs> meanest looking guys I've ever seen come up there. And they're standing, I mean, look like the front line of an NFL football team. Two of them had on sleeveless T-shirts. Pastor says, we're going to take two offerings this morning. We're first going to take the church offering. Then they're going to come back around, and we're going to take an offering that Brother David take back to, to home missions. So I knew what both offerings were for. I, listen, I put money in the plate both times. I was afraid not to. They'd stand there with that plate and look at you. mean to you put some money. So after church, I went. I said, fellas, can I hire you? All you got to do is travel me and take up offerings. We can raise more money than Free Will Baptist could ever spend. <clears throat> so a different kind of free will Baptist church. I'm telling you, we didn't ever do church like that where I grew up. And it was just about time to preach, and they called this guy up to sing a special. This guy, rough-looking guy, he comes up on the stage, and they set a chair, and they hand him his guitar, and they put a mic in front of him. And this is what he says <laughs> right before he sings. I'm going to sing a song for you I wrote in prison last week. Come to find out he got out of prison the day before Saturday. One of the church members picked him up at the prison, took him home, kept him there that night, brought him to church that morning. He sang the special right before I preached. Unusual Free Will Baptist Church. But it's going to get stranger. Mm. One of the times I was there, I took my son-in-law with me, Shiloh Hackett. Shiloh, and that's his real name, by the way. When he started dating my daughter, we did a police background check on him. <clears throat> now he's a he's a good boy. His daddy's a real Baptist pastor, uh, and but Silo about six four, weighs about two hundred fifty pounds. He's he's my bodyguard. <laughs> but uh, I just you know I just thought Shiloh grew up in the south. He, he needed to experience that church, so he went with me one time. And while we were there, we, we were down in the basement having a little get together, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I'm sitting in a chair, and I know Shiloh's kind of with going around the wall, facing me like he's taking my picture with his phone. Now. Most son-in-laws don't want their father-in-law's picture, you know, for their phone. And I think, well, what's going on? And all of a sudden, I feel pressure on my shoulders. I thought somebody walked up behind me, put, had their hands, and were pushing down on my shoulders. I turn my head, and I'm looking into the eyes of the largest python snake I have ever seen outside of a zoo. And it was alive. 
Shiloh's taking my picture, sending it to all his friends. Says, my father-in-law has started handling snakes. I don't know how I sat there. I, I very calmly, I said, either you get, you get that off of me now, or one of us not leaving this basement alive. Come to find out it was the youth group's mascot. Lived in the basement. I said, that's what you need for a church mascot, a serpent. Different kind of church. Pastor's boys, Nick and Joe. I, I love those boys. Nick is now a, a, a policeman, and he also is a youth pastor for his dad there in the church. But when I first met him, he was just a young teenager. I remember when he came up to me one, one, uh, one time. He was so, excited, so excited about something. He says, he says, oh, Brother David. He said, i got to show you something. I said, i, said, I, I tell you something. I said, what is it, Nick? He, he said, i got Jesus on my side. I said, well, that's great, Nick. That's great, buddy. He says, no, i got Jesus on my side. And he pulls up his shirt, and he's got a full standing tattoo of Jesus on his side. He said, I got, his spirit, I got the spirit on my arm. I said, keep your shirt on. I believe you. He came up to me a few years later. He said, Brother David, I'm going to get the Free Will Baptist logo tattooed right here on my neck, and I'm going to come to the National and stand with you in your booth. I said, Nick, I love you, and no, you're not. <laughs> Unusual kind of church. But I'll tell you, God has taught me so much there about loving people who are different than I am, who grew up differently, do church differently, do a lot of things differently. He's given me such a one, and, and let me, can I tell you, I've been many times over the years down, I love going. You know why? I never know what to expect. I can go in most of our churches and tell you pretty much what's going to happen the whole time. But I don't have a clue when I get there. <clears throat> one of the times I was there was Sunday morning, and when I got up and came to the pulpit and turned around, I noticed some people had come in since we'd been sitting. And to my right, there were two whole, they had chairs, two, two rows full women, all women, sitting in two full, rows full. And now, these women weren't dressed like your typical preacher or deacon's wife would dress to come to church in the South. And that's all I'm going to say about that. After the service, one of the women comes up to me, she introduced herself. She tells me her name is Anastasia. Now, I think that's the first time I ever met a real person named Anastasia. She said she had been a prostitute walking the streets of Los Angeles. She'd gotten away. She'd gotten off the streets into a shelter. She'd gotten saved. And now she worked for this shelter, and they were trying to get these women off the streets. And so some of those women had been actively walking the streets of Los Angeles that week prior to that Sunday. They were in, our, in that service, two rows of them. She said, Brother David, I don't want to just get them off the streets. I want to get them to Jesus. So she brought them, every one of them, everyone came every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And every service, every time the invitation was given, one or two of them would, would step out and tears running down their faces, just run and fall in the altar, praying and, and begging God to, to forgive them and to save them. Then I'd be standing in the vestibule after service, and they'd come out, and they'd look at me, and they'd say, <clears throat> it was hard for me to listen to you. And I said, why? They said, well, all the men in our life, always only deceived and abused us. And it was hard to listen to you because you're a man. He said, but we listened. And we saw your heart. And we believe you mean it. And we believe you really do care. And then they said, can I hug you? <laughs> listen, we can't be untouchables. Now, I know COVID has kind of messed up some of that stuff a little bit, but Okay, we can't be like, act like we're better than everybody else and we're above. Listen, we're all just sinners saved by grace. It took as much grace to save me as it took to save them. And it took as much grace to save you as it did to him and me. So they'd hug my neck and 
Wednesday night, after the, when the last service was over, every single one of those women had come to the altar and gotten saved in that revival. Every one of them. I couldn't wait to get back to the hotel room that night. I got up when I called Kathy. I said, Kathy, oh, you won't believe it. What, what a great revival we had. I said, honey, I've never been hugged by so many prostitutes in my life. She, she said, excuse me? <laughs> now, now, listen, <clears throat> that girl trusts me for, for a couple of reasons. One, one, I've never given her any reason not to, and I don't intend to start now. Two, that girl's got some redneck in her. Now, she's a classy redneck. She's a saved redneck. There's a difference. She told me one day, she said, David, I need to tell you something. I said, sure. She said, I don't believe in divorce. I said, okay. She said, but I don't have any problem with murder. I said, good to know. Good to know. So she don't have to worry about me, okay? Just a different kind of church. Different kind of church. <clears throat> but you know, if I hadn't already loved them, let me tell you why I couldn't keep from loving them. I think I mentioned... One of the sermons, our son Ryan uh, started running when he was 19 years old. He got, he, he was, he's out of church. and He decided when he was 19, he'd just live out of his car, just travel over the U.S. and live out of his car. And so he just left to do that. And <clears throat> there'd be months past, we wouldn't hear anything from him. We wouldn't know where he was, if he was alive or dead. And so he finally gets somewhere he could use a phone, and he called us, let us know he's okay. And uh, he'd been out about 10 months or so, I guess. And, I was in a hotel room somewhere. I don't remember where I was, but about 2 o'clock in the morning, my phone rings, and I didn't recognize the number, but I answered it, <clears throat> and it was Ryan. And I could tell something was wrong. I said, son, what's wrong? Are you okay? He said, no, Dad, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not okay. I said, what is it? He said, Dad, I'm hungry, and I don't have anything to eat. I don't have any money to buy anything. And he said, I'm tired. Like, I, I need to rest, but I can't find a safe place to sleep. I said, son, you tell me where you are. He told me he was just outside Los Angeles. I said, son, I'm going to tell you what to do. I said, now I'll send you some money, but it takes some time for you to get it to get there and you get to where you can get it. I said, but I'm going to tell you what. You, you remember that church that took you and your mother and your sister to out, outside Los Angeles? You guys thought that's the neatest free Baptist church you'd ever been in because it's just so different from any place you'd ever been? He said, I do, Dad. I said, listen, they're having family cap up on the mountain outside Los Angeles this week. And I said, have you got gas? He, he told me how much he had. I said, listen, tell you what I'm going to do. I'll send you some money. I said, but now, when you get off this phone, don't you hesitate. You get in your car. And I'm going to give you directions. You drive up to that camp and you start knocking on doors till you find Don or Vicky. And I promise you, I promise you they'll give you something to eat. I promise you they'll let you have a safe place to lay down. Well, he did what I told him to do, and he went up to the camp, and he knocked on doors till he found Don, and they did just what I knew they'd do. They fed him. They said they'd never eat, seen one person eat that much food in that amount of time before. So he ate and ate, and then they gave him a comfortable place to lay down. They said he slept almost two days. Well, he stayed with them there the rest of the week at the camp, and when they went home, he just went home with them. Nick and Joe and another friend of theirs <coughs> lived in the parsonage. Pastor and his wife had their house and had a house. and they, So Ryan just lived in the parsonage with, with them. And he stayed several months with them, worked with them with their music and youth. And uh, he, he's, uh, he plays the guitar, sings, writes songs. And he, uh, he, he's also actually preached a few times years ago. And uh, so he'd been there for a month or two. One night I'm in a hotel somewhere. About 2 o'clock in the morning my phone rings. It's Ryan. I asked her, I says, Ryan, you do know you can call me at other time besides 2 o'clock in the morning, right? I know that. He said, but I, something I need you to explain to me. I don't understand. I said, well, what is it? He said, these people in this church, they love you to death. 
I said, what part of that you having trouble understanding? He said, Dad, you're such a redneck, and they're not. You're such a suit and tie and boot kind of guy, and they're not. He said, but they love you, that they talk about you all the time. I said, son, can I tell you something? I love them. And it's not just something I say. I genuinely love them. He said, one of the women told me to tell you something. I'm not sure if I should. I said, well, what is it? He said, she said to tell you the prostitute said hello. <laughs> I said, which one? <laughs> he said, Dad, how many do you know? I said, well, son, they're not prostitutes anymore. They've all been saved by the grace of God. And all of them are, some, many of them got back with families, have families of their own now, and are in church, still faithfully serving God today. We've kept up with them. And I'm going to tell you, when God does things, He does it right. Now listen to me. How could I not love people who love my son? Who fed my son when he was hungry. <laughs> Gave him a place to rest when he was weary. How could you not, how could you not love them? Jesus one day to those standing around, those religious folks, he said, I was hungry, and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. I, didn't, I needed clothes, and you didn't give me anything. And they were in shock. Lord, when have we ever seen you like And then he said, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. You've done it unto me. Are you getting it yet? If I want to love the Lord like I should, if I want to understand something about this great love that's greater than faith and hope, that's the love that's given to us as an example by the Father who gave His Son, by the Son who gave His life. If I'm going to learn how to love Him more, I've got to learn how to love others more. It's interesting. John said this. If we say we love God and we hate our brother, we are a liar. That's pretty simple. You don't have to have a doctorate to get that, to understand that. That's about as plain as anything in Scripture. Remember one day Jesus said to his disciples, he says, when I'm gone, when the people look at you, there's going to be something in you they're going to see, and when they see this, they're going to know you're my disciples. It's interesting what he didn't say. He didn't say when they see your great faith and hear you tell all the things they believe in, you believe no, that's not what he said. He didn't say when they hear you talk about that great blessed hope that you have. No, that's not what he said. He said when they see your love one to another, then they'll know that you're my disciples. You know the greatest way to love God more is to learn to love others more because I believe it is directly connected together in God's Word. So love people more, you love God more. Love Jesus more. I'll give you one final thing. That God just kind of, this just kind of helped me to put a period on the end of this thought. And this thing about the greatest of these is love. It hit me one day as I was thinking about this. When I get to heaven, okay, just imagine when we finally arrive. I mean, we, 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 we're standing at the gates of the city. And we see it. You hear me? Several things. First of all, we're not going to need our faith anymore because our faith has been visualized. Now we've seen it. We're not going to need our hope anymore because our hope has been realized. The only one of those three that we're going to take with us all through heaven is love because our love will simply be glorified. 
The greatest of these is love. If we want to love God more, and I think we all should desire to do that, then we need to start loving others more. It's easy to love people that love you back. The world can do that. It's easy to love people that are nice to you. The world can do that. Not as easy to love people that don't love you back. Not as easy to love people that say bad things about you and do things against you. Not as easy to love them. But he still says, we should love one another. He said, as I have loved you, you love one another. When you begin to look and study in the love of Christ and the Greek terms there, I'm going to tell you, it's such an amazing study, an amazing thing. And somehow, someway, I don't know that I'll ever get to that place in this life where my, I love others exactly like Jesus loves me. But I'm getting better. I'm working on it every day. I still struggle with it sometimes because some people just aggravate. Some people feel like it, it, God called them to help you to learn how to love them more. And teach you patience. That's, that, they think that's their gift. <laughs> But I'm just saying tonight, I don't know that we really ever really fully emphasize the importance and the power of this thing called love. It's an amazing thing. First Corinthians chapter 13 kind of wraps it up as well as any place I've ever read in the Bible. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus I love you Lord thank you so much for loving me I don't know how you could love me I don't know how you love me I don't know why you love me now you know me better than anybody here you know me when I'm standing in this pulpit you know me when I'm in a hotel room by myself hundreds of miles from my wife anybody else you know me. You know my strengths. You know my weaknesses. You know my successes. You know my failures. And you love me anyway. I'll never get over that. That you love me. God help me. Help me to somehow love others like you love me. And like Jesus loves me. Because Lord I believe that's the only way I can grow in my love for you. It says, I grow in my love for others here. Lord, don't let us leave here tonight the same as we came in. And hopefully, I've been able to put some thoughts into the minds of these here, into the hearts of these here, that your Holy Spirit can take and use. Lord, there may be some people that it's hard for them to love. Maybe they've tried, but they just are hard to love. Maybe they've done things to them or said things about them. Lord, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. But we still got to love them. If we want to love you, we've got to love them. Thank you for these few days and services here. Lord, it's been a pleasure to be with these dear folks and get to know some of them just a little bit. Thank you for their faithfulness to come to the services. And 
their faithfulness and attentive to listen as the word is preached. Thank you for the worship, the music has been led as, as Seth has led that. Done a great job, Lord. A special music all has been so good. And Lord, I just pray, help us to leave tonight and think on these things. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to process. But I think that's what you want us to do, is to process it in our own hearts and lives to see how it affects us and what it is we need to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, you come and you lead the invitation if you want to do that or you close over how you see fit.